Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter. I have an exciting announcement to make. I am offering a chance to win a free 30-minute consultation with me. Entering is very simple. Just share an episode on any social media platform, tag me, or send a screenshot to hpopodcast at gmail.com. This is important because if you don't tag share with me, I may not see it and be able to enter you in the raffle. You can enter as many times as you want. There will be a winner announced during the show intro at the beginning of each month. I appreciate all the listeners who have participated in this so far. It really does go a long way in helping me grow the show when you share the episodes you like with your friends, family, and followers. Also, a new way to enter the raffle is to submit a show review on your favorite podcast platforms. Other ways to support the show is you can head to the show landing page, which is just zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. There you will be able to find access to the show Patreon page where you can actually access shows early and ad free by subscribing to the show on Patreon. You can also donate in other ways on that landing page, as well as access the full catalog of episodes, descriptions, show notes, and transcripts if you're interested in diving into some of the previous episodes. I do want to give a quick shout out to my Endurance Training Simplified series of episodes. It's gotten quite long. So I listed them in the show notes. You can link to each one of those there. But if you're looking to start your endurance journey or just really fine tune it, I have a whole series of episodes that deal with just training principles in general and the different components that go into it between like easy running, speed work with short intervals, long intervals, long run development, the mental side of training, all sorts of different stuff. So check those out in the show notes if you're interested in refining your endurance training. If you'd like a little bit of extra support in your training, I'm actually launching a new coaching package. So this new one is actually a group training process that is online. What it is, is if you subscribe to it, you will get access to my full catalog of pre-made endurance plans, which range from 5K up to 100 mile come in multiple levels in multiple different durations. And you have access to that as long as you're subscribed. So if you decide to train for a specific distance or event, all you got to do is let me know. And I send you the copy of that particular training program. But what comes with it is what is important in my opinion is when you're subscribed to this new coaching group coaching package, you will also be able to attend a weekly meeting with me and the other group members where we will cover topics that I find important for your endurance training journey, as well as questions and schedule adjustments that you have submitted beforehand. And then also some live questions from the group. The group size is going to be limited to 30 though. So make sure you sign up soon because I will be starting this program before the end of 2023 to make sure people have access to this by the start of the new year. You can find information on that by just heading to my website at zachbitter.com or linking to it in the show notes. Supporting the show this year are my friends at Element Electrolytes and Delta G Ketones. I have full descriptions about how I use both of these products in my training and racing at the end of the show. So if you're interested in checking that out, please stick around after this episode. For now, just some discounts and promotions from both of these products. Element Electrolytes is offering a free sample pack with your first purchase. Just go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. 
They have a no questions asked money back guarantee if you are unsatisfied. They also just released their warm beverage winter collection, which now includes raspberry chocolate. I just checked it out. It will be in my morning coffee protocol this winter. Delta G Ketone is the exogenous ketone company that has almost all of the research behind its formula. They are trusted by professionals around the world. You can get 20% off with code BITTER20. Just go to deltagketones.com. There you can also sign up for a free consultation where they will help you understand how their product may fit best in your lifestyle. And then you can compare it to mine. Links to both of these products can be found in the show notes as well as the show sponsor landing page, which is zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. All right, Dave, welcome to the show. Nice. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, you are the first in-studio guest for the Human Performance Outliers podcast. <laughs> I've you done that. You hear that? Uh, applause yeah. throughout the, the audience <laughs> The audience is excited. Yeah. The I've done some in-person guests, I suppose, but not in a studio. So they were more just like, oh, cool. I have an opportunity to talk to you in person. Let's put the iPhone on right. and put some lapel mics on and, and try to do this like a little bit more personal. And they're a lot more fun. So that was yep. kind of the taste I needed, I think. And just going on other podcasts that do in-person stuff. I think it was, it's just something where it's just better. It's yeah, better to do totally. it when you can. And you're in town. So yeah. Right down the road. Right down the road, yeah. It's not even that hard of a trip for you to come over here and record. So Austin, Texas. But obviously we have you on here for a reason other than that. And it's because you've got a really fun project coming up, or I guess the start of it's coming up. What do you have on the to-do list? On the docket, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, Dr. Dave, and uh, I'm just honored to be here. This is actually really, really cool, really exciting. Um, It just kind of is all magically coming together of... Uh, this year I decided to say enough is enough in my health journey. And, uh, I went through long story short, I went through severe burnout, lost my health and, uh, over the past couple of years, been slowly getting it back. And then two months ago, I went on kind of like a spiritual journey through the mountains of Colorado Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was hiking up this mountain and it was just, it wasn't even that big of a deal kind of thing. And as I'm huffing and puffing and barely surviving going, like walking up this little trail, these two gentlemen that probably were like 65 years old, like sprinted past me laughing, chuckling, (laughs) and uh, like talking, telling jokes back and forth to each other. Yeah. And I'm like, there I am like sitting there like, what the hell? These (laughs) these guys just like ran faster than I could run faster on a a flat ground. Mm -hmm. And it just hit me of like, I've never considered myself a runner. I uh, always used to uh, use the word hate when I would talk about running uh, because I came from a different type of athletic background. And for some reason, it just smacked me across the face. I was like, I should challenge myself and do an ultra. Uh-huh. I was just so inspired to uh, be in the mountain range and see those those people go past me. A few minutes later, this like 75-year-old gentleman yeah. was riding his bike and just like <laughs> zoomed right past me. He wasn't even breathing hard, and he was going like uphill at this crazy, insane pace. And I was just so inspired that I, I literally declared to myself like, okay, couch to 100 miles. I've never heard of this before. Let's give this a try. Yeah. <laughs> so couch to 100. Yeah, uh, sure. It seems crazy. Yeah. Well, it's the right sport for crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. It's, uh, you see a lot of different kind of approaches to it. You know, it's actually interesting because one topic I've gotten more interested in over the last maybe 
two years, three at most, is just people coming into ultra marathon running that aren't traditionally runners. And I think the sports always had some of that because it was, especially the trail side, where it was sort of this thing of like, I want to go on this journey of self-discovery and I find these cool places in nature. I see more of it if I'm moving quicker, therefore start learning to run. And like, yep. you, you get, you, the, if you want to get to the top of the mountain, there's not a whole lot of other options other than by foot. And if you want to get up there quick and see more of them, the faster you do, the more of them you see. Yep. I think that's kind of the general thought process there. And it's just been something where the last few years, though, I've seen just a whole bunch of people coming in that are having athletic backgrounds, perhaps, but more interested in I'm going to do a challenge versus I'm going to always be just working year after year on the same skill set. And then yeah. I guess the hybrid athletes, probably the way to describe a lot of them. And so I mean, just from, even from a coaching standpoint, I've seen a lot more interest from a wider range of people than I had prior to that. And the sport is, I guess, growing. And I think the pandemic and some big signal boosts from large podcasts that got interested in it and then maybe non-traditional people getting a pretty good following like your Gogginses and your David, uh -huh. your David Goggins and your Cam Haynes of the world. Like these guys are, you know, they're coming from different backgrounds that don't scream endurance runner necessarily, yep. even though those components were both in their lives. Like if you're going to be doing what David Goggins was doing with the seals, you're going to have to have endurance. If you're hunting the way Cam Haynes hunts, you're going to need endurance. So it's like those, those inputs were there, but they maybe weren't highlighted and it was a means to an end versus an activity. And those guys, I think did an amazing job of saying like, this is a big piece of it. You should like look at it, at it, as something that is a big piece of your life too. And it's supposed to be cool to see the, the impact of that, of yeah. who's coming and stuff like that. So, so what yeah. got you, why hundred miles? Is there any, <laughs> it is seemed a, crazy a and nice, stupid. Nice <laughs> like, I've been trying to think about that for uh -huh. the past two months since I, since I thought mm -hmm. of it as like, why a hundred miles? Like it, it just seems stupid. Um, yeah. and, and that's exactly it for me. Uh, I had to do a lot of self-assessment into it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, my background in athletics is very much, you know, football, rugby, baseball, bowling, like all mm -hmm. the things that way. Um, and then when I had my sports medicine clinic, which we'll get into a lot, but uh, I mostly helped endurance athletes. But still, even at that time when I had my clinic, there was barely anyone running 100 miles. It mm -hmm. was the classic was like couch to 5k or marathon or, or marathon was really like gonna the be gold crazy. standard yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if, if you really wanted to get up there and that was the big challenge right and i've always considered myself a very internally competitive person so i've never uh I, i've enjoyed external competition so in other words like i loved winning football games of course right but for me, the reason why I was good at football was because I cared about my footwork. I cared about putting in the plyometric training. I cared about getting the jump roping in. Mm -hmm. You know, all of the things that were like the little tools to get me there that I was internally competitive with. And through my middle age, I feel like I completely lost that. And so for me, getting into this 100 miles, I know just from the little bit that I do know about the the distance of the practicality of it is that there's a lot of mindset and there's a lot of like internal competition that has to happen versus like if you sign up for a 5k, it's very easy to fall into the trap of external competition of like, oh, I'm going to beat the person in yeah. front of me. And you got the rabbit situation where you're like trying to chase the rabbit. Whereas the hundred miles seemed to be more appealing to me because it can be just you out on the course mm -hmm. and like in the middle of the darkness, 
confronting your own demons and hallucinating about it and still having to keep moving forward. Yeah. And to me, that's some sort of sadistic appeal, I guess, that uh, to me, 100 miles is like that. If I can do that, when I turn 85 and I'm looking back at my life and I want to make sure that I don't have regrets about my life, like, this is one of those things that, yeah, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because you do have that. I mean, you have enough experience with life to be thinking about what am I going to be thinking about what I'm doing now when I'm 85. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, thought. Well, I always put things in two frameworks. I always look at it as, um, I, I re-ask myself, would my 16-year-old self be happy with myself now? Mm-hmm. And would my 75, 85-year-old self look back on this and make sure that this was the best decision? In other words, no regrets in the decisions that I have. And right now, if I were not to do this, I'd be very unhappy with myself when I was 85. Mm-hmm. And my 16-year-old self that made a promise to myself never to get out of shape would be very disappointed in myself right now. And so I'm like at those two convergences of thought processes Mm -hmm. that are actually like really motivating to me right now. That's an interesting way to think about it. Like if you, because I can think of a host of things my 16 year self and 85 year old self would disagree with one another about. (laughs) But when you can find those points of agreement between those two, that might be a sign that that's something worth investing your time into. Totally. And I would have (laughs) never thought about that had I not lost my health either. Mm -hmm. Like in my 30s, just blatantly going through life not thinking about those two equations led me down the death trap of severe burnout and health issues and so i i now have that awareness because i went through the struggles Mm -hmm. and uh so yeah now i can now i can do that filter that framework of is this good or not and i think it'll help me ultimately in the end of pushing through to get to 100 miles through all the pain and everything that i'll have to go through uh, because I'll just simply ask myself, hey, what would my 85-year-old self do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good perspective. It, the other interesting thing is, is a little bit of a pivot from what we've been talking about, but just the reason we're sitting here together today versus you going about this on your own, unbeknownst to me, yeah. uh, we have a mutual friend or acquaintance, um, Justin Wren, who was uh, doing, a, an, I guess we maybe call it an exhibit or a showcase of like his uh, upcoming speaking uh, speaking engagement stuff. So like we got invited to go to the presentation of that and just to hear about kind of like the, the process, I suppose. And we hadn't met yet at that point, but we had a mutual friend as well there, Brian Sanders, who I believe you had <laughs> went with. And you yep. had just been kind of like thinking about this with him. And he had said, oh, you should talk to Zach. Yep. And then we just happened to bump into each I'm other that day. I'm getting goosebumps right <laughs> now because it's so crazy, the story of... Yeah, it was literally three days before that event where I met you. He's like, go on Instagram and check this dude out. And uh, I think you'll be inspired by him. Like, he's got all these things going on for him. And so I checked out your Instagram, and I saw a Wisconsin plaque in, yeah. in the back of <laughs> yeah. your first video that I looked at. I was like, oh, this dude's from Wisconsin. And I didn't even know who you were or what you did or anything. I just wanted to see where you were in Wisconsin. And I was like... Oh, he lived in Madison at one point. Oh, he did his world record thing in Milwaukee. Like, yeah. And me being from Wisconsin, I'm like, okay, yeah, I geeked out. So I started scrolling, which I would have never scrolled through someone's profile 
just off the random chance of being like, oh, another endurance athlete. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was because of that weird connection. And then three days later, there you are sitting like three chairs away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Still with a little bit of my Wisconsin accent. I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, we both have them. Yeah, everyone thinks I'm from Canada. But <laughs> Yeah, that's actually funny. When I, because I was in California for three years after, well, I was in Wisconsin for 20 years. And then three years in California, but those three years in California, everyone would ask, like, are you from Canada? Yep. And, like, and I would, at a, at a certain point, I would just say, basically yeah almost <laughs> almost just, front door step yeah. is what i would yeah, say yeah, front door step. <laughs> yeah so yeah and that was the other interesting just kind of going down that that path of like talking about the different spots in wisconsin that we've both been and just those uh, jogging those memories of you know wisconsin's yep. got all these like interesting city names yes. <laughs> or town names in some cases where it's like you kind of forget about it and then all of a sudden you hear someone talk about like oh i know where that is yeah <laughs> oh manitowoc yeah manitowoc oh. yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, let's jump into that. So what originally brought you to Wisconsin? Or uh, well, yeah, that's so where it all began, perhaps? It, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm originally from Wisconsin. So for me, it was, I had no choice in the matter. My, my parents drugged me there when I was three years old. <laughs> um, I was technically born on a military base in, in North Carolina. Uh, and then my dad retired. And then I was only three years old. We moved to Milwaukee. And then when I was six, we moved to Wausau, which is the center of the state. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was I basically consider myself raised there and uh, through and through a Wisconsin person. Uh, went to undergrad in Eau Claire there and then went to chiropractic school in St. Louis. And then I had two uh, uh, life choices in front of me. I could either go to New Zealand and work with the rugby teams there or all blacks yeah they're all blacks <laughs> it wasn't the all blacks that i would have been invited to work with but um another rugby team uh or i could go and be the first chiropractor to work at the university system uh in their medical system for their sports medicine uh and so that was the longer term goal of everything anyways mm -hmm. and so went to madison wisconsin opened up a business there for 10 years uh and and developed a you know had three clinics there multiple chiropractors working with me mm -hmm. i was a team doc for 12 different sports teams uh worked with the badgers rugby uh madison R rugby club like you name it all the way throughout there uh and then just got burnt out quite frankly and closed shop in 2017 uh traveled the country in a bus for uh, a school bus that we converted into a home uh did that for a year and then landed in austin texas for the sunshine and tacos yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, let's jump into some of that stuff. I think that's interesting because we were actually crossed. We, we were in Madison to some degree. Well, not to some degree. We were for a period of time because I would have been there from, I want to say, 13 to 15, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, yeah, 2013 to 15. So I was it was brief, but I was also in Baraboo, Wisconsin when I was really young. Yeah, my my parents drug me to Wisconsin when I was eight, not quite three, <laughs> but uh, I was eight. my 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 dad's side of the family though were all from Wisconsin for the most okay. part, so it was like kind of for him I think going back home or closer to home anyway, and you know, we bounced around the state uh, with uh, when I was younger, and then obviously when I went off to school and then started working within the state and the education system, you could do a little bouncing around in that case too. So I got to experience a pretty good scope of it, uh, but yeah, Madison was where I was last and. Man, if it weren't for running, I'd still be there. And even with running, there was a good chance I could have stayed there because it was where I wanted to be with that part of my life. But um, Madison's a great endurance town. It is. I mean, it's just a fun city. Yep. Like, there's just so much to do. And then the surroundings are great, too. You're like, it was maybe a 30, 40 minute drive to Devil's Lake where you can get the bluffs where you would forget you're in Wisconsin for a little bit if, yep. you, if you didn't know. 100%. Yeah. Or you could go fishing on Lake Michigan and feel like you're in the ocean. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, head up to Door County. and Or if you go up to the, if you go even further north, I can get on the 
the superior lake superior area and stuff too yep. you can really find some interesting spots but but yeah so you were in madison how long were you in madison for then 10 years 10 years yep mm-hmm. and that's kind of where your your career began and then uh and then you burnt out so what would it what would you say was like the catalyst of the burnout like is there is there a was there a point where you could say if i want if i had wanted to be say in that world for a longer period of time say 30 years were there some points here like if i i would have had to do that differently that differently or anything yeah that sticks out? i had i had gotten i'd gotten myself into trouble from the standpoint of uh i grew my business way too fast mm-hmm. and mentally i just wasn't ready for it and so what ended up happening Long story short, and we'll get into little bits and pieces of these along the way, is that in chiropractic school, I started like just becoming the normal overweight stuff, I'm sitting in a classroom from 7 in the morning till 10 at night, mm-hmm. and then going and partying at night, right? Um, and it just led to really bad habits, and, and then the stress of the business. I was one of those like hyper achievers, and I overdid everything in business. I was working seven days a week nonstop. I was only sleeping like six hours a night because I couldn't sleep. I would be so obsessed with helping patients. Mm -hmm. I would think about patient cases all night long. I would think about business all night long. Like, how can I do this contract? How can I get this sports medicine thing going? How can I fly over here? And I was doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And then uh, really what started happening is I, I grew too quickly. My overhead was too high. I'd bought a bunch of real estate before 2008, so I was upside down in a whole bunch of real estate. Yeah. I was like too big of an office and one of my main locations, uh, and things just started crumbling apart from the standpoint of uh, I had all of these opportunities, and I didn't know how to run a business was mm. really what it came down to. I was really good at chiropractic, and I was really good at sports medicine and rehab and performance and all these things. But I didn't know how to inspire teams. I didn't know how to be a transformational leader versus a transactional leader and and some of these basic business principles that I now know. Um, And so what ended up happening was I drove myself into the ground. I became became that fun social drinker where I was networking and doing all sorts of stuff to trying to drink myself to sleep at night. So I was working the the 13-hour, 14-hour days. And then I would go home and to try to sleep, I would just like pound alcohol watching Netflix because I couldn't sleep and I was like an insomniac. And then that's really where the health problems just started compounding. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to the point where, you know, for several years, my joints were completely swollen. I couldn't extend. I didn't have full range of motion in my joints. Uh, my abdominal area tissue ripped open. My teeth started falling out. I started getting stress fractures everywhere. I had brain fog so bad I couldn't do simple math or I couldn't do any calendaring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, quite frankly, we thought we were uh, thought I was dying of uh, unexplainable cancer. Essentially, oh wow, yeah, um, would be the summary of it. And uh, so enough was enough, and we closed everything down. And and that was the precipice of there was quite a few things that inspired that to happen, which uh, we'll get into another time. But um, basically, it was just like, I need to change something or I'm going to die. Yeah. Uh, And really, like the defining moment was there was this aspect, I remember sitting on the couch, and and this is pretty, pretty rough. Uh, I was reading a report of some chiropractors who committed suicide Mm -hmm. over their finances. And I was just like, whoa, this is just not worth the, the struggles that I'm going through right now. It's like, I have no urge to get to that point. Right. Um, 
why don't I change my life around? Mm -hmm. And so that was when really we made the decision to uh, completely go 180. Like when we went into the bus, we decided not to put electricity into it or running water or any of those sorts of things. And I had started practicing Stoic philosophy. And uh, so that's where the, the journey and the transition has, has come from. Yeah, how how where was your family at at the time? Was your, your my wife was the office manager, so she okay. was just as stressed and, and as many problems. Yeah. As, and so she saw it all happening. It was part of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. the The whole family was wrapped into it. Um, we raised our kids in the office, and so like patients would help us take care of kids in between, uh, and and we tried to be close, but that was another driving factor. Is they were starting to get they would have been four or five years old at that time. Um, that we started to realize that we were losing touch with them because I was working so much. And even though they were literally in the office with us mm-hmm. that I barely saw them, it was this crazy concept of like, I never saw my wife. I never saw my kids yeah. and they were literally across the wall from me. Uh-huh. Um, and so like all of those factors go into it of they were part of, part of the problem and part of the solution kind of thing mm-hmm. was we all, we all decided this together. That is an interesting point because I know like Nicole and I both work from home. So we do see each other every day for the most part, at least during work days. At a, at a certain point, you do have to kind of like take inventory of yeah. what have we actually done together that isn't us just being in the same proximity as one another that kind of makes all this worth it. Yep. And then finding like those spaces to step away from that and go and do something, even though like in the there's a part of your brain that processes is like, I've seen a lot of you why am I now going and doing another thing with you kind of a mind yep. mindset? But yeah, it's, it's like a weird kind of, I don't know if it's just different because that's not usually the case. Like usually when you're with somebody, it's because you're engaging with them versus them just kind of passively being there. Yeah. But yeah, I it's mean, a weird it, dynamic. It took us like five years from the start of my office. Uh, it took us five years to take our first vacation together. Mm-hmm. And during that time, we didn't have a single date night. Yeah. Like there was, there was never a date night. There was never like a... Oh, let's go do this one thing together. You know, that kind of thing where it was like an actual set aside time. Of course, there was, we went and did stuff together, but it wasn't like a, hey, let's celebrate us kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then you had all the opportunity in the world to be engaged with your wife and kids when you moved into the bus. There's no <laughs> yeah. way around it at that point, right? 280 square feet. Yeah. <laughs> so where did you get the bus? Was it just like, Oh, Where is, does one get a bus? I know, right? That was the first question we had. Um, yeah, it's crazy because we're at the time. Well, this is one of those things when when you're burned out and you're like looking for ways out. We we really idolized like the tiny home living kind of mm-hmm. thing, and we were obsessed with watching little farming videos and stuff like that. Um, and we were planning on trying to do like the RV life, and randomly like YouTube algorithm started feeding me bus videos and I was like ha you know I showed my wife like look at these stupid people they converted a bus kind of thing and she's like oh yeah that's pretty stupid and then like I don't know maybe two weeks later the bus videos just kept coming I was like oh this this is cool bus look at this you know and it, it just the snowball kept happening and then suddenly you're just going down the rabbit hole of okay how do you buy a bus how do you convert a bus what are the laws all of those sorts of things turns out every state's different mm-hmm. um, but in Wisconsin uh, they have to retire school buses when they hit 175,000 miles, okay. even though the engines are good for like 400,000. Hmm. And so what ends up happening is these huge graveyards of buses 
that uh, even though we went through uh, part of the process was we went through bankruptcy and we didn't have much money, we went through and bought a twenty five hundred dollar school bus. Okay, so that's what a school bus goes for twenty five hundred. Well, anywhere from twenty five hundred to I've seen school buses go like once you start to outfit them, they easily start to cost a hundred thousand sure. to one hundred fifty thousand, right? Yeah. Uh, but we bought we bought a raw one right off of the graveyard, mm-hmm. and uh, I spent three months, and uh, we only put I think eight hundred bucks or something like that into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the stuff we scavenged from free on Craigslist. And uh, I basically turned it into my full-time job as, like, rehabbing the school bus and turning it into my little house. Yeah, okay. So how long did that take before you got the bus and it was, all right, we're on the road now? Three months. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a real fast turnaround. Cause yeah. It's, uh, and YouTube allowed me to do everything. Like, sure. Do I know how to unhook a radiator hose for the heater in the back of a bus? Heck no, <laughs> right? YouTube teaches you everything. Yeah. And so it was just like... You've got your phone and you've got your tools and you just sit there and you watch a few videos, you do a few things, you watch a few videos and do a few things. Yeah, it's interesting because generation probably before mine, it would have been like guys, girls in some cases know how to fix cars because dad taught them how and his dad taught him how and it was just that thing you did and you had like some working knowledge of kind of the basics so you didn't have to take it in for every little problem that occurred with it. It's like the, the auto mechanics for the big problems. Yep. And now it's like if you if YouTube is that dad, right? It's like yeah, the one totally. where you're gonna go and look for that. Like, how do I how do I change this? Or, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you're leaving Madison on the bus. Was there any planning in terms of we want to kind of? I guess maybe the way I should ask it is, was there like some short term objectives and long term objectives with the bus, or was it all just like? Here's the first objective. We'll figure out step two once we get there and move on. Or yeah, it was definitely both. It was um, we had a, we had a short term goal of going and working on farms. So we signed up through mm. this uh, website, which is like Airbnb but for organic farmers. It was called Worldwide Organization of Organic Farmers, and you basically sign up through this app and mm-hmm. you go work on farms in exchange. They feed you and they let you stay there for free. Okay. Uh, and you wow. work like two, three hours a day, and then you get your day to yourself to go do whatever you want. <laughs> and so we were really big into, I was researching from a foundational of health standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, like trying to fix myself all these years. I really realized that uh, a lot of the foundation of all of our health issues as a society comes from the lack of nutrients in the soil. Mm. And uh, just a blanket summary, like our monoculture agriculture system is really like massively responsible for most health issues across America. And so permaculture and food forests are one solution that is completely anti-establishment. Yeah. Uh, but we wanted to be on the bus and, and go experience these farms. And so we specifically set out with the task to learn how to farm mm-hmm. and learn how to farm in many different ways. Uh, and then we also s- set a few targets to visit family that we had never visited before. Mm. Um, so it was kind of a blend between farming and family. And uh, like there was times where we reversed the bus into a lemon orchard and could literally open up the windows and grab fresh lemons to eat every day. Uh, there was goat farms. I built a huge duck pond for 100 ducks. Um, I built a rabbit farm. Uh, I did all sorts of crazy cool things. We lived at Cato Mounds, uh, which is a national historic uh, monument in um, East Texas, mm-hmm. and uh, I helped build the Snake Woman's Garden uh, according to traditional principles of like the 
I went and harvested bamboos to make fencing and poles and then uh, laid the mounds out the way that they grew agriculture back then. So it was just a really cool, deep, rich experience that way. And then from the health journey standpoint, we wanted to be as non-traditional as possible. Mm-hmm. So almost no technology. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like I said, it was water buckets, use as little water as possible. Uh, soak up the sun and outdoors as much as possible. So every night it was like playing games with the kids, teaching them how to build fires. Most of our food was like cooked on a fireplace outside. Yeah. Um, we foraged for food. We learned how to forage. We did all of that type of more like primitive thing with the purpose of resetting our nervous systems. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like this is a crazy sounding thing, but it was about month three into the journey and like that's when you could feel our nervous system starting to relax like we had no idea how stressed we were Mm -hmm. until we started hitting that mark you normalize it over time yeah it's like at first it starts with a little bit of extra stress and then that becomes a little more and then you find yourself 10 years into a career and it's gotten to the point where you break yep yeah yeah so that was that was the the long-term goal the short-term goal was the farming long-term was health Mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I, I was entirely clueless that you could actually sign up for something like that. And because <laughs> I'm thinking about that, it's like if you had like a block of time and you wanted to see a lot and do a lot, but essentially like live modestly, two to three hours a day is a very small commitment to, yep. to and if your only goals at the time are to <coughs> have shelter over your head and food and water, that gives you a lot of flexibility. It makes me think of just like, I was thinking about this not too long ago where just the cost of living, how much it's gotten because you, you presumably we need all these things that are modern that come with a price tag and then you have to work and earn in order to, yeah. from everything from phones to you know, utilities now and just like cost of living in general. For it, the whole year, I think, uh, if I remember our budget right, we spent $12,000 yeah. for the whole year mm-hmm. as a family of four. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really like, and then that's what I was thinking. I was like, is it really that living costs more or is it that we've normalized so many inputs that we assume are absolutely necessary that's driven it up? But in reality, you could get by with a lot less if you had to and then cost of living wouldn't be any any more aggressive than it would have been, say, 100 years ago. But you almost have to remove yourself from society, like a large portion of society, I should say. Obviously, like, the organic farms you're on aren't viewing it that way right. or they wouldn't have that sort of a setup. Yeah. Uh, well, there was a lot of times we just went and parked in national forests mm-hmm. and it, it's crazy. So like there's, there's these things called BLM land, mm-hmm. which is like 500 million acres yeah. or something like that, uh, where you can just go stay for free. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can go yeah. live there. For, you got to be what, like a hundred meters off the most, the road nearby or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's, we learned so much about that of like comfort creatures. Like mm-hmm. to your point, it's, you know, we all we all think that we have to live in seventy two degree nice internal temperature and have running water and all these things and we survive perfectly fine on, you know, little five gallon buckets of water mm-hmm. and uh living with the temperature at so whatever there was nights where it got down to like twenty five degrees in the bus and we just cuddled up in sleeping bags, right? Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. on our beds. So no issues. <laughs> perfectly yeah. fine. Made us feel better actually. It's also one of those things where, like, I think when people think about living off the land is probably the extreme way to say it. 
and it's like, how would you do that? How would you find all these things and learn these things? But when reality, when you think about it, like when your only goal during the day is to find water and food and enough shelter so you don't freeze or whatever at night, then you have a, such a small list of what you actually have to get done. You can invest yep. a lot of time into it. And then obviously you probably need to know what you're doing to some degree in order to start either of any of those things. But, yeah. but once, once you start like, fine-tuning your skills within that very short list of things you have to do probably get pretty good at it yeah well and it's and it was really crazy too because it was perfect time for the kids everyone always asks about the kids like oh how did they handle that like <laughs> they handle it way better than adults do because yeah. to them they don't know any different like to them it's just a big vacation and fun yeah and uh it was perfect time for their brain development because they really got a sense of community like we did Lot, there's lots of bus meetups. There's lots of community around this. Mm -hmm. uh, so we established some really lifelong friends and things of that nature. But more importantly, they saw the importance of things mm -hmm. uh, around family and community where, like, if you didn't do the dishes, there was no room for dirty dishes to sit there. Right. You know, and they would feel the effects of, like, if you're parked in a wrong spot and you've got ants coming up into your bus because you leave dishes out that are dirty, yeah. they, they saw a direct correlation of like, this is why as a family we do the dishes together. Yeah, the natural consequence is right yeah. there in front of you. Yep. Yeah, it's not it, down so the road. So it was really crazy and that, that stuck with them. They're now 11 and 12 and they have no issues doing household chores because we do them as a family together. Mm -hmm. There's no money exchange. There's no paying the kids to do things. Like, yeah. It's just, a, oh, this needs to get done. Okay, cool. How can we all do it? Yeah, I mean, I briefly met your, your children at Radio Coffee not too long ago, and I remember when you said your, your daughter was 12. It's like, she's 12? Like, yeah. she was like... Well, she's also, like, freakishly large for a 12-year-old, but... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she more so than that, just, like, her, her general demeanor did not scream 12-year-old. I mean, I taught 12-year-olds. I was a 7th grade teacher for, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> for two years, so, like... I get the, I, I know the kind of the general vibe of that age demographic fairly well, and I, she seemed like older than what what you would imagine for that for that so it's like yeah you wonder about how much just that sort of a process gives to a kid in terms of how they actually develop and self-sufficient mm -hmm. they, they learn how to entertain themselves they learn how to find things to do mm -hmm. uh, they learn actually a lot more of like what they like and what they don't like mm -hmm. uh, and so it's been beautiful we've we've homeschooled them from the beginning uh, with the intent of uh, passion-driven learning and education where whatever they're into, we just help facilitate the max capacity of that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and then our goal was to teach them, you know, reading, writing, and math as the basis. And then, oh, you're into X, Y, and Z? Cool. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, you're into cooking. Let's learn math around the cooking, right? Yeah. Like, it's super practical. It is. I, it reminds me when I was in Madison, the reason I was in Madison actually is I had uh, moved from my first full-time teaching job in Marinette to Madison where I was going to be teaching in Middleton Cross Plains, which is just right, you know, right next to Madison. And they had the Middleton Cross Plains High School was a big, very successful high school in the state, but they had, they, they, they converted their alternative schools. Most big high schools have an alternative school of some sorts. And they decided that they didn't think that path was best for those students. So they said, we're just going to convert this into a project-based school. And it would be like both a charter school as well as part of the public school. So they still had the, they were still affiliated with the public high school, but they also had a charter license and then had like a board and everything like that. So the idea there was 
kind of like what you described, where let's help students figure out where their interests and passions actually are, and then show them where the math, the science, the reading, the writing fits into that. So you start with their interest and then embed the education versus jam the education down their throat and hope they find where that lies within their passions, which they may or may not actually do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, if, if I had stayed teaching, that's where I would be. That was uh, like such a perfect setting for me. Um, yeah, so I was just thinking like your bus tour would have been just something that they would have loved to have as like a guest speaker come in and talk to the kids about <laughs> right? it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is exactly what they were doing or what they're trying to facilitate with less of a less mobile setting of that and more... Yeah you know, as much, as much structure as you can, as you need to put around a school in order to cross your T's and dot your I's and still yeah. have that experience in place. So, and, um, and they were involved in even building the bus. Like it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like a five-year-old was out there with a power drill. Yeah. Helping, you know, well imagine being that age and knowing like, I am not just a member of this family by default. I am an, an input that is necessary for this thing to function. Cause like, if mm -hmm. I don't do this, then things fall behind that are uh, that are very apparent and obvious. That's a beautiful yeah. way to think about. That. Most five-year-olds aren't thinking that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they definitely don't have an awareness of that. that no, just, uh, there's no. an outcome that happens because of it, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, folks. Just a quick reminder that this episode sponsors are Element Electrolytes and Delta G Ketones. You can get a free sample pack of Element Electrolytes by going to drinkelementt.com forward slash HPO and 20% off your order of Delta G Ketones by going to deltagketones.com and entering promo code BITTER20. So then you, you ended up in Austin. So what was, was that just the final stopping point? And then you decided, hey, of all the places we've been to, this is the best one. We've been gonna... here for Paleo FX. Oh, I think, okay. Yeah, I think you and I had chatted about that. As I'd been here for Paleo FX just because I was huge into the natural health community. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, <clears throat> during Paleo FX, my wife and I had sat down on the curb and would be like, oh, one day it would be cool to live here. Yeah. And so when we were exploring on the bus all the different cities of options that we were interested in, Austin just kept calling us. Uh, and it literally was for the tacos and sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> There's tacos for everything here. There's mm -hmm. breakfast tacos, lunch tacos, dinner tacos. And uh, that sounded really fun. <laughs> yeah, there's something about Austin. I know uh, Nicole, she she went to school at Northwestern but then got her lottery from Baylor. So she was just around the corner from Austin. So a lot of her classmates ended up moving to Austin. She went to Dallas and, but she always thought like Austin is the spot I want to be. But you know, <laughs> as, as life, you, you know how it goes 10 years later, it's yep. like, you're still not in Austin. Yeah. But eventually that, that path opened up for us. And she was just like, man, I should have done this sooner. <laughs> I remind her, you might not have met me then. And she's like, oh yeah, that's right. 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 Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, you can't go back and change the, the path. I know it's too bad. You can't, you can't fine tune it, but it is what it is, but we're here now. So we're excited about it. But yeah, Austin's got a certain kind of feel to it where it's just, you just kind of find that being a desirable spot to hang out. So it is. Yeah. The, the culture here, the, the people are nice on top of everything, but uh, more importantly, it's just a fostering community of people want to do big things here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, as much as I loved Madison, people wanted to do big things, but not in the way that Austin wants to do big things. And so yeah. for me, like, I didn't know what I wanted to do in my next phase of life other than explore. Uh, but by the fact of moving here and I, I started coaching, I started doing high performance coaching for CEOs and uh, came across a bunch of tech people. Mm -hmm. and, and then the next thing you know, like, 
I'm thinking about building AI. In 2019 is when I started started looking at building an AI company, uh-huh. and it was purely because I changed my environment to Austin. Yeah, I would have never ever probably gotten into technology, even though I was pissed off and frustrated coaching athletes from 2008 and people chasing Garmin heart rates <laughs> and running themselves into the ground, going from Wisconsin to Arizona and overheating and not understanding why their heart rate was different. Yeah, <laughs> like you, know, all the frustrations that I wanted to change out of technology, I would have never imagined myself being able to do that myself if I would have stuck in Madison. I would have just kept doing the same thing. Whereas I moved to Austin and you get around a completely different subset of people that have just these crazy dreams and different ways of looking at things. And that's what inspired me to get into technology. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So you're now you're in Austin or you had been in Austin. What was, uh, what, what are you doing now with the tech stuff? I know you're, you've got some, it's, it's a yeah. health, health input to tech, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I basically make better meaning of data out of all these fitness trackers and, and advice. So I'm, I'm creating personal insight agency engines, which mm-hmm. this next level of health that's coming is right now. Everything's population based. Oh, it's great to get eight hours of sleep. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know, and even the best like Whoop and, and right. Garmin, like the advice that they give on their personal insights are not personal. There's population. It's like just that. population data of like, you know, get up before and, and Huberman is great at, at promoting the basics, which is what I really love is, you know, get out in the morning, get your sunshine, your 20 minutes of sunshine before noon, and it'll help reset your rhythm and things. Mm-hmm. But like for you... What is your deep sleep ratio versus your REM sleep ratio? And what are the tactics for you that we know that get your deep sleep deeper mm-hmm. and your REM sleep deeper so that you know that you're recovered more mm-hmm. that work for you as an individual? Yeah. Right. And so that's the big question. And I think that that's where the future of health is actually going. Okay. And is that going to be just improvements in wearables and then like databases that can collect that information it's and everything. make a sense of it. Yeah, I'm I'm big on I'm actually speaking at this at Solar Park uh Solar Punk Festival this weekend which is a huge decentralized uh community talking about regenerative agriculture, decentralized health, like all sorts of crazy stuff. Um I I have a big topic that I talk about is that your bathroom is going to replace your primary care. Okay. And so in your bathroom, like imagine a stool sample kit. Yeah. Your mirror is going to be able to monitor the moles on your skin and be able to detect when it starts to turn cancerous. Like your urinalysis is going to happen on a regular basis. You're going to be able to have your, your, your bacterial swab and everything right there in your bathroom that everything will be connected into a central data hub that you own and that you have access to, not a healthcare system. Hmm. And you are going to be able to tell it which inputs that you can put in. And all of these great sensors that are, are out there, this isn't something of the future. I'm not making this up. All these devices actually already exist. Mm-hmm. It's just no one's bringing them together. They're all siloed right now. Sure. So, like, one of my main constructs is to try to unsilo everything mm-hmm. and get it all into one place for an individual where your Garmin is just as important as your LinkedIn data, sure. which is just as important as the amount of Netflix documentaries that you watch, because then we have a better understanding of who you are and where you need help and where your roadblocks are. So that's why primary care will actually start to go away, is all of these baseline things will be automatic without us even having to think about it. 
our body will start to like what we saw through COVID and, and uh, you know, being able to check your HRV starting to tank and all of those sorts sure. of things. If you started getting sick before you feel it, mm-hmm. your biometrics show it. And so we'll be able to have those as signaling systems to warn you that, hey, your body's starting to get off, like totally avoiding the primary care situation, sure. which will then unburden the healthcare system to allow them to be really great at what they're doing, yeah. which is the top 4% of everything, the cancers, the, you know, get your bones broken, you know, put them back together, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what the healthcare system is designed for. It's not designed for all these lifestyle modifications, which is a vast majority of the healthcare burden right now. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things you could go into with that. I mean, you said COVID, so let's go with that one. You can quarantine a virus with that information, essentially, yeah. can't you? Like you, cause it's like not a, I don't, I don't, my, my understanding isn't that people are like, Oh, I have COVID. I'm going to go out and spread it because screw you. It yeah, was more no. like, I don't know I have COVID, but I can't not go to work or I'm not going to like disrupt my life. So I'm going to go out. Exactly. We eliminate all the like wear a mask. We eliminate all the lockdown because like if you have COVID in that screening, your, your, your bathroom tells you you have COVID, yep. you know, you, you get through it and then, and then you quarantine that particular person versus the whole populace yeah. until they, and, and then, then you get the resources to the people who need them versus just like yep. a, casting a wide net and hoping it hits. But even, even bigger, which is crazy to say, even bigger, a, a bigger problem right now is diabetes, yeah. heart disease, mm-hmm. like the, the, you know, Peter Atia calls it the four horsemen, right? Sure. Like the, yeah. <laughs> these things that are actually the biggest causes of death in our society mm-hmm. uh, are all lifestyle related. And so imagine being able to predict and help foster people in a good environment in their home yeah. well before something actually needs to take real action against. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if we can start to predict that you're, you know, we call it right now pre-diabetic, but even before that, we have earlier signals. Mm-hmm. It's just the healthcare system doesn't promote getting these yet. Yeah. Um, but we have all these ways to start to predict these things are going to start to get side railed, and uh, we'd be able to create interventions in your home rather than. Mm-hmm having to wait until it gets bad. Yeah, the adult with type 2 diabetes, they didn't see the decisions they were making as a kid that led to that as being the consequence. So like, it goes back to what we're talking about with your kids. They had immediate consequences yeah. that showed up, so they made changes right away, and they learned right away versus figuring that out when they were adults. Like, oh, man, I wish I would have been better at this when I was 7. They knew yep. right away, so they developed those routines early. It sounds like this is the information people need to recognize, like the consequence they're heading down by the decisions they're making in the short term. And right. it gives them that scope. And of course, not everyone is going to do the work, mm-hmm. but that's the beauty of, of human nature is we have the choice to. Right. Right mm-hmm. now, we don't have the choice to because we don't have the information mm-hmm. being provided to us that we are making the bad choices. Mm-hmm. Like in my per- you know, particular health case, right? I was strong-headed. I thought I knew it all. I was one of the top experts in health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And everyone was flying from all over the world to see me for their health and their performance. And then there's me with my own actions doing the wrong, stupid stuff with no awareness that I was even doing it to myself. Like, I had no idea I was redlining the whole time Mm -hmm. that I wasn't getting sleep. And even the sleep that I was getting, I, you know, there was no fitness trackers that way that was like easily telling you, Hey, you're not getting any REM sleep. Mm -hmm. Like that might be bad. Um, you know, so now we're going to get to that phase of, of our society where it'll give me the option to be like, Oh, Oh, okay. I see that, that fourth drink that I had did mess me up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the exciting part. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, so you can make the mistakes, but you know you're going to make them right away. You know you're making them right away. Yeah, and you're not going to make them as consistent. <laughs> right. Because you'll see uh-huh. that, that cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And then just as far as the healthcare system goes, you're hoping a high enough percentage of people take that information seriously, which they probably will, uh, that you have a smaller percentage of the population dealing with these four horsemen type situations on a regular exactly. basis where we don't have the structures to support yeah, we're, an entirely we're sick populace. Trillions of dollars. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. if you can make a dent in two percent of that, mm-hmm. like that's a huge equation. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so if, if most people on the borderline, if if we look at stats of uh, the general population, fifteen percent, we know through a lot of population studies and corporation studies on this, fifteen percent of the population really wants to take care of themselves. They're the you category, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so let's stay fitness, let's stay healthy. You know, I want to actively take care of myself. Yeah. 85% of the population in that, there's probably going to be 60% of them that want to do something, but they're so overwhelmed and have no idea what to do that they end up choosing to do nothing or they choose the wrong things for themselves thinking that it's making a difference and it's not. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's where if we can get some of that percentage switched over and flipped to get them healthy for themselves we're going to have a huge impact on society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's one of those things where I think everyone who pays attention knows there's going to be big technological changes coming very soon, faster than most people probably would maybe even want them to. Yeah. But people have no idea what's in store in yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the world. Yeah, and I mean, you can always look at that through different lenses, but like this is obviously a positive one where yeah. like here's we're going to get answers to questions that are just basically like, even if we have answers for them, we don't have good applications of making resonating with the average person to the degree where the changes get made that need to get made. So there's just too much disconnect between that. And this sounds like the bridge for that for a lot of yeah. it. Yep. The exciting future is near. Mm-hmm. Way way nearer than people were thinking. Yeah. Well, let's let's zoom back into your particular situation here. So we're coming up on uh, November or the end of October, I should say. And for the ultra-running fanatics out there, they know the end of October means Javelina 100. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, this year means a race. So I'm doing the 100-mile at Javelina, but that'll be the end of my current journey from a training and racing standpoint and sort of the start of yours because yep. you've been kind of moving things around in a way where when you're one year out from the Javelina 100, you're going to start your, pro- your process of couch to 100-mile. So. Yep. Tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are within that. I mean, I can tell you some thoughts too, I guess. Yeah, this I'm going to be coaching be you for it. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're officially going in for, for everyone out there. Yeah, this yeah. Is a, we, we're helping each other out on this. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you in this podcast uh, because, so basically, you know, so like I said, I was in the mountains, Colorado, two months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been trying to slowly get into things and... It was last week or the week before I, for the first time in like eight years, I was able to run two miles straight. Mm-hmm. And when I first started two months ago, like I couldn't run five minutes. So three minutes was like torture for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so originally I was going to give myself this year of like, oh yeah, let's do Havelina the next year. And now I, like the immediate competitiveness stepped into my brain <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, shit, should I bring this up to him on the podcast? <laughs> I was like, can I do it faster than a year? Like, 
So on one hand, I want to uh, take my time because I don't want to get injured and I have a lot of fear behind running and I have a lot of fear behind doing this this thing just in general of Mm -hmm. the time commitment and all of the things that go into this. Um, But then there's this other side of me, this competitive side, that goes, oh, God, if I go really intense, can I get it done in six months? Yeah. And uh, I know know there's a yes to both, but uh, walk me through... What in your brain, having the experience of training so many people at the the hundred level, like what kind of considerations should someone like me be having? Because I do have like I've got numbness in my toes, my my back goes out, I've got severe arthritis, my hips go out, and I can't bend over. I don't poop right. Like my when my back goes out, I have to crawl around on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these things that I have to deal with when trying to ramp up. Yeah. Something like this. So what are my considerations on timeline six months versus a year? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think when it comes to endurance sport, I would say like there's never a like, oh, that timeline's too long. <laughs> like where, <laughs> where it's like you you have to do something sooner. I mean, you can you can you can get kind of nitpicky with that and say like you should try to capitalize on potential experiences along the way that are going to help you with your end goal. But like if you told me, hey, I want to run 100 miles in five years, I wouldn't say, oh, that's too long. I would say, okay, well, that's the timeline. What is the process to getting there? Um, One year is just another timeline. So with one year, I would say like you have plenty of time to get yourself to a point to where you'll be able to do the race. And the question is, for me, I always is like that is a big goal. Um, It is your big goal, I should say. And big goals tend to be further away in time. And that kind of puts you in a position where you have this, like, is this like the new year's resolution thing, right? Like someone decides at the end of the year to just to transform their health in some way. And that is kind of like a longer journey. So they're, but they're excited about it. So January 1st, they have all this momentum and all this excitement. And then as the days, weeks and months trickle on and things happen that they didn't expect, that shiny experience they're looking to achieve becomes less motivating and they don't have that kind of drive to kind of be consistent and continue. So when we're looking at year-long goals, my first question always is we need to set up some scaffolding around where are the wins between day one and day 365 that you can really be proud of that are going to be motivating you along the way so that when you don't have the excitement of crossing the finish line and Javelina to motivate you, you have something else. And you also have all these checks that you're kind of marking along the way that are also giving you the sense of accomplishment. Like when you were into your career, obviously you were passionate about it or you wouldn't have driven your health in the ground in order to pursue it. Yeah. So like along the way, there were milestones, I'm sure, that motivated you, that kept you kind of that determined to be able to drive your health into the ground in order to achieve those things. So Um, we want to think of it the same way as we want to build those motivators, but we want to make sure we're doing it at a pace that is going to make this something sustainable for you beyond Javelina versus just getting you there in a position where you can cross the finish line. And then you mean you don't want me to be one and done. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want you to be one and done in this. You can be one and done with hundred milers, but I don't want you to be one and done with your pursuit of health and excitement. Cause like if you finish Javelina and you say, that was great. I have a, a body and a vehicle now that can do a lot more than it could a year ago. And I saw that change occur, but maybe now I want to do something completely different. Maybe I want to do like a strength based activity or something like yeah. that. And that's where you turn your, your passion to. I mean, that's, I think that's great. It's, it's about kind of 
making that part of your lifestyle to where those goals start showing up very intuitively versus feeling like you have to like really sit down and plan them out. You start knowing like, okay, I see how this process works and where those goals tend to get, get established along the way. So sometimes I think that means let's put a race on the calendar that's sooner than Javelina. So you have a more immediate target. I totally. Yeah. Want yeah. To, want to do the, the 20 K, you know, the 10 K, the marathon and then yeah. the 50 K mm-hmm. and yeah. And it does make sense because like, it's one of those things where when it comes to training for hundred miles, the big thing about hundred miles is you just don't do anything really that close to it before the day you do it. So you have this kind of dark area of unknown where it's like, I don't really have a reason to believe that I can do this because I never have done it. So you're battling that side of your mind, that, that, that side of like just not having a personal experience of traveling 100 miles, even though you're trying to give yourself all the reason to believe that it's possible and you've seen other yeah. people do it so you know it is. You can close that gap a fair bit by doing other events. And even if it's not you know, something where that experience gives you the the actual act of crossing a finish line that's long but not 100 miles but just knowing like oh this is kind of how i feel the week before a race this is how i best perform by doing these sort of sort of things this is what the day before feels like oh maybe i shouldn't do that on javelina weekend because i did that for that 50k and it did not end well for me kind of a mentality so you have a chance to maybe run through the system a few times and catch where the little spots are that that could potentially be mistakes and refine your decision-making. So when the inevitable happens at Javelina, which is I didn't plan for this to occur, I have to problem solve on the fly here, your mind goes to when this happens, these are the two or three things I should choose from in order to go forward versus this just happened. I have no clue. I'm going to start throwing stuff up against the wall. Yeah. Okay. Well, so then we'll have to get a 50K, 50-miler on yeah. the books because to me that would be my nervousness. To me, a marathon doesn't like make me nervous. Uh-huh. Like I know I could probably push through that mentally mm-hmm. with zero training. Yeah, um, and I would pay for it dearly. But, uh, but we don't want you to pay. Yeah, for it yeah, dearly. exactly. <laughs> so I think a, I think a fifty miler for me on the books would be really yeah. motivating. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great options from the fifty k to the hundred k, and they're okay. they're basically all over the place. You wouldn't even have to leave the state, and you could probably pick something basically any month of the year if you wanted to. Um, there's some great race organizations here in Texas that put okay. on events frequently. So um, and if you want to travel, I mean, then then it's the world's your oyster, so yeah, to speak. Right? <laughs> um, and that's part of this, too. So maybe I'll back up and, and help the viewers uh, and all of us kind of understand perspective that this mm-hmm. isn't... When I was on the mountain, there was a lot of things that came up before this that, that led to my decision on the mountain mm-hmm. that, you know, obviously this has been a eight, nine year struggle for me of Mm -hmm. I'm restoring my health. So there's there's that point that this has been a long-term transition happening. Uh, In the beginning of this year, I went into uh, some sort of organ problem and my triglycerides shot up to 700. My cholesterol shot up to 370. I was was getting symptoms and issues again. And because of that, the beginning of this year, my, both my wife and I stopped drinking at mm-hmm. all. Like, even though we weren't drinking, drinking, like we just zero alcohol. Uh, we hammered in on our nutrition. I started eating two, two pounds of meat a day, uh, not just meat, but protein, really just getting a lot of protein in. Cause I realized that I was undernourishing mm-hmm. and I tried to get back into weightlifting cause I used to just love weightlifting mm-hmm. and it just wasn't motivating for me. Like there was, I realized 
through all these years, the reason why I loved the health and fitness side of things was because I was always training for a competition when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And so I had been searching for several months of the thing that I wanted to do that would be an external competition to drive my health. And so all year long, I've been making health transitions already. So psychologically, this isn't a New Year's resolution where I'm saying a year, uh, I'm just going to start doing this, right? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's there's a slight difference that way that that is leading up to this. So I think that that's really cool to put in perspective of. For me, this is... Uh, yeah, this is, this is about a whole aspect that I've already been on the path to. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be very easy for me to adhere to this and not get lost. Yeah. I'll say one thing to kind of add to that and what we've been talking about is like when, when I'm coaching someone with a goal like yours or in a situation like yourself where this is like a big project relative or a pivot more or less. Yeah. My goal is not necessarily to get you to Havelina and feel like you just absolutely like destroyed Havelina above and beyond what you could oh. like hit your A goal. I mean, I'd love you to hit your A goal, but I see that yeah. as the cherry on top. So my A goal is to cross the finish line. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I mean, and that's a phenomenal, like, I mean, how many people have crossed a hundred mile finish line? Like it's this tiny percentage right. of the population. And my goal though, like if you went to Havelina and had like a miserable experience and didn't get to the finish line, my goal would be when you have that experience, do you look back on it and think, what was I thinking? Or do you look back on it and it's like, oh, wait a second. Like I've really turned my life around here. I've got tools available to me that I would have never imagined. My health is in a much better place. My physical fitness and the opportunities I have because of it are great. So then you're actually standing on the start line of Havelina thinking, oh, I already won. This is the celebration. This is the part where I get to like express all the wins that I've accumulated over the last 365 days. And that's where I think um, the spot you want to be in. So it, it sort of kind of has two, two aspects to it. One is it creates a lifestyle and it creates a situation where you are just better as a whole. But it also puts you in a position where like some of that anxiety and pressure of this is all about crossing this 100 mile finish line is sort of removed because you know when you're honest with yourself, you're so much better off before you even start the race than you would have been had you not went on that journey in the first place. So uh, the other way I like to explain it is like you'll run 100 miles next year at Havelina, but that 100 miles, although at points may feel like an eternity, is going to be a drop in the bucket compared to everything you do between now and then yeah. to get ready for that 100 miles. So when you're on the starting line, you're like 99 point something percent of the way there already versus I haven't even taken a step yet and I have to go 100 miles. So that's kind of the framing. My goal, my goal should be to, my A goal should be to make it to the race then. Yeah, absolutely. And I, used I mean, to tell my athletes yeah. that. So it's so funny, like <laughs> uh, my own medicine coming back to me. Yeah. <laughs> Your goal should be to make it to the start line. Yeah. Everything after that is icing on the cake. Yeah, if you're standing on the start line in a year, it's going to be because you are like in a totally different spot physically than you are now, and yeah. that's a huge win. Right. And it can't be ignored because if you ignore that, then it becomes something where, when you do have self-doubt during the race itself, you maybe are looking for the wrong things to motivate you to keep moving versus. Mm -hmm like thinking about like, I think when, when you have the process front and center, it really does minimize what you're trying to do. And the goal of a hundred miles minimizing what you're trying to do in your mind, because you don't want your mind to try to have to wrap around a hundred miles or however many hours it ends up taking. Yeah. So 
I'll say one more thing too, because I know there's a lot of uh, just like anticipation, fear, anxiety around running a hundred miles. A hundred miles is a moving journey. So like walking is a walking and hiking are a huge portion of that for the majority. And in some cases, the entire field, it depends on the course and the, the people who come to it, but there is plenty of walking and plenty of hiking. And if you're looking at just the cutoffs or like the time you need to get to the finish line by, it could be almost all walking. Okay. So like looking at walking as not just something that gets you closer to running or a spot that makes a specific run sustainable because you took a walking break versus trying to push through it. Think of that as this is a, this is a skill set that I'm going to actually use on race day. So I think that's where the ultra marathon, especially the hundred mile becomes yeah. a little bit different where somebody might be thinking of training for like a 10 K or a half marathon where the goal on race days to run the entirety of it. That's almost more daunting in my mind because now they're, <laughs> they're at a point where they have to do a walk run to get to where they need to be. And they're thinking this walk is, is not what I'm actually preparing for. This is just this means to an end thing. Whereas with hundred miling, it's very much part of race day. Yeah. So like embrace that aspect of it. Um, don't fear it. And you know, don't be afraid to pull that lever in training when you feel like, okay, I know that I'm supposed to always leave one on the table, so to speak, at the end of a workout. So the next one is doable and you're not pulling like future workouts off the table. Like that's a thing to keep in mind. Like it's not a step back to walk and training. It's actually probably a value add in most cases. Yeah. Nice. That's a great, great perspective. And <clears throat> so my 16 to 18 minute mile pace right now is like, hey, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I think I'm, I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the cutoff is at Havelina in terms of what you have to finish by. I think it maybe is like 30 hours or something like that. But um, I mean, that's probably the pace, relatively close to that type of a pace to to get to the finish line. So yeah, like, interesting. You know, yeah. Yeah, it's not obviously there's variables that you want to consider too with the course and everything and stuff like that. Not not that you're not experiencing those variables here in Austin and any degree. It's probably more miserable at this point of the year in Austin <laughs> than it will be at Havelina when you do that yeah. race. So yeah, I'll be training because <laughs> next year then I'll yeah. be training through the heat of mm -hmm. Austin. Yeah. And by then you'll be at a point where your training low capacity is much larger now too. So you'll be like, you'll actually be able to put meaningful time out in that weather and experience like, like, okay, yeah, I can actually manage this well. And, and I actually think you know, dry heat, relatively speaking, is going to be so much easier because there's just so much more. Well, first of all, your body's better at dealing with it from a topical cooling standpoint, evaporative cooling standpoint. It, but it's also like, you know, if you're training in this humid Austin weather, even if it's re unreasonable or even if it's reasonably worse at Javelina from a weather standpoint than what some people will get on like pristine weather races, it's not going to feel that way for someone who's trained through an Austin summer. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, no, it's going to be exciting to get things going and kind of see where it all goes and the journey along the way. And for the listeners who are um, who are interested in this, we're going to be doing some reoccurring episodes. So yeah. we'll be checking in with Dave along the way, see how he's doing and get an idea of what it's like to kind of go on that journey as a, a first-time ultra marathon 
uh, trainee. And then it sounds like we maybe crossed that ultra marathon checklist before Havelina, if I'm understanding your. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just super excited to be sharing in this journey. It, it actually motivates me to share this with the world. Like, I'm a person that is driven by uh, eyeballs looking at me. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, to me, this is just, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Uh, I'm appreciative of everyone. And uh, definitely people will be able to follow along on this. And I, I think through your podcast, I'm starting a podcast. Uh, I'll be doing YouTube content. You'll probably be doing the same. And uh, we'll be sharing and all that. And, and then I think for people following along, we're going to be doing something pretty special that they can follow along as well, too. Yeah, we're looking to build this out a little bit so that people who want to go on their own journey have some resources and tools to jump in and join us, right? Yeah. So um, I guess stay tuned for some of the specifics about that. But yeah, we'll be building out some opportunities for listeners of this podcast or anyone who wants to follow along to join in. It doesn't have to be 100 miles. It's going to be set yeah. up in a way where... Don't be crazy like Yeah, me. <laughs> you could do a 5K. You could do anything in between. Or it could just be something entirely different and you're just focusing on kind of improving your health and fitness with some consistency. Yeah, with uh, running as a tool. Yeah, That's kind of the exactly. way that I've been thinking of it as mm -hmm. like this, this great tool to keep community alive and, and being social. Most people are social. Most people want a community. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, the running component of that, I always admired that when I was working with my endurance athletes that a lot of people had the wrong conception they were in it to like win their 5k yeah i was like but you're getting so much more value out of the community side of it you guys are all binding together and yeah. doing cool stuff and so i'm excited about that component of this as well that we can do some strava competitions and things like that together yeah it'll be fun awesome uh where else can people find you social media link oh, or handles yeah, or anything for me, like that yeah uh mindofdave.com okay mindofdave.com is that uh, like yep, that's the, main the one hub? thing that people can go to and then from there you'll be able to link into my other stuff instagram and youtube and all yep. that right on awesome dave thanks for coming on we'll be yeah, doing this again you. soon awesome <laughs> all right everyone if you're still here you're sticking around to hear about how i use the show sponsor element electrolytes and delta g ketones for Element, they make an electrolyte supplement. So what I know about me is that I lose 614 milligrams of electrolytes per liter of fluid loss. So what that means is if I go out for a run and I lose two liters of sweat, then I'm also going to lose roughly 1,228 milligrams of electrolytes with it, which ironically happens to be about one packet of Element. So what I likely will do is if I'm going out for a longer training session or I'm going to be out in the heat and sweating a lot, I'm going to supplement the fluid intake I have with electrolyte to make sure I have that stuff in balance. The way this usually looks for me is I'll wake up in the morning and I'll have a cup of coffee and I'll put half of one of those packets in with my coffee. It will be one of their chocolate flavors though because it's coffee after all. I'm not going to stick one of the fruity flavors in there. So that gets me kicked off. Then what happens is I go out for the workout and then I am drinking basically to thirst, but I am also targeting some numbers at times when it's hot enough and I know what my sweat loss is. But generally speaking, for every liter of fluid I'm taking in, I'm matching that with 614 milligrams of electrolytes to make sure I'm staying on top of that and remaining hydrated throughout that training session. If you're interested in a deep dive and figuring out more about your fluid loss and electrolyte needs, I actually have a couple podcast episodes that might be interesting to you. One is episode 358 with Andy Blow, where I go over all things hydration. And 
he talks about how I came up with that 614 milligram loss number and how you can maybe find out about yours as well as how much fluid you are losing with some simple at-home tests. Also, I did an episode a while back, episode 300, which is just titled Personalizing Workout Hydration. So check out both of those if you're interested in doing a deep dive into your hydration and electrolyte needs. Something new I added to my training and racing this year are exogenous ketones. The research for exogenous ketones is still in its early stages, but there is a lot coming out and it is getting more convincing in my opinion to the degree where I wanted to try it out. I actually stress tested it during a 15 hour, 100 mile run at the Rocky Raccoon 100 earlier this year as a way to confirm whether it was something I was gonna include in my racing protocol. One thing I was a little nervous about with exogenous ketones, like I am with anything I'm ingesting during an ultramarathon, is what is it going to do to digestion. I was interested in the recovery research for some time now with exogenous ketones, and there are some newer research studies now that suggest it could also have some performance applications as well, if you're able to tolerate it and get it in the right dose. So when I decided to try it out, I went with Delta G ketones because they are the ketone ester that basically all the research that has promising effects is tied to, and it's their formula that's being used in those research studies. So a lot of times you'll just go and look for an exogenous ketone, and there's all sorts of potential issues with that, whether it's a dosage or just an incorrect type, and it's not actually going to do what the research suggests it would do. So to me, it was looking at if I want to potentially get the benefits that these could be bringing, I need to be using the one that they're actually showing the research with. So that was Delta G ketones. They actually received the DARPA funding and grant to actually put together that form. So like I said in the, the intro message, they have 50 plus published studies and are part of 20 plus ongoing studies. My protocol with this right now and this is something where I am evolving as I kind of do more with it. But at the moment, I'll do a bottle of their ketone performance, Delta G performance, and that is their little blue bottle. So I'll take one of those about 20 minutes before a big key training session, and that's it. If it's a race day, though, I'll do that same protocol, but I will take another bottle about every three hours after that. So if I'm doing something that's longer duration, like that 15-hour Rocky Raccoon effort I've just described, I would be doing that again at 3, 6, 9, and 12 during that particular performance. So like I said in the intro, if you want to chat with one of their experts, you can actually go to deltagketones.com, and they have a consultation service there right now where they will help you understand the research and whether your lifestyle is even something that they would, they would be worth considering it for. So if you want to get a little more information on that, that option is available to you. Links to both Delta G ketones and element electrolytes can be found in the show notes as well as at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. 